0: Thanks for tuning in. It is Daniel Wortman coming to you live from the Dream Imagine Sports Studios. It is 9 a.m. on the East Coast, 6 a.m. out West and all time zones, in between and around the world. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday, April the 20th. Hope you had a good, safe, social distancing weekend. Together we can get through this and hopefully sooner rather than later uh, as more and more excuses continue to pile up in relation to uh, COVID-19. U.S. soccer tried to use the excuse last week that it was COVID-19 that out of the blue um, caused the cancellation termination of the Development Academy, even though multiple sources came out. Uh, and, and, and as well as individuals uh, said that you know this this had been coming for a while. Um, covid 19 was used as the cover for that. Then we started getting comments from uh, different uh, MLS teams, especially FC Dallas talking about the need to start playing more with Mexico and then wouldn't you know it uh, Mexico comes out and says we're not going to do pro rail for five years. And, uh, and we want to look at, uh, some type of super league idea, at least the Atlas owner out of Mexico, uh, started talking about that. Look, 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 COVID-19 is not the reason for any of this. This is the, these are people trying to use an, a pandemic, um, to, as an excuse to get across their agenda and shame on them. I mean, plain and simple. Anybody that uses COVID nineteen as a reason for um, you know major major changes um, without telling the truth, shame on them. I mean, it's one thing to say like COVID nineteen, we're gonna going to pull the trigger, but this is what we've been wanting to do for a while. This is what we, this is our ambition. This is our goal. This is our dream. Whatever, right? Okay, fine. I can, I can accept that. I don't agree with most of those assertions, but, you know, um, it, it is definitely, um, to me, very lame when you come out and say, oh, it's COVID-19. No, it's, it, this is not COVID-19. You know, leagues around the world are all in the same predicament. It's not COVID-19 that's causing Liga MX to do what Liga MX has been talking about, or at least some clubs within Liga MX have been talking about uh, for quite a while. And, and the players were locked out of that conversation in Mexico. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how FIFPRO, the organization that represents uh, these professional players internationally. um, What do they do? Does FIFA step in? I don't have a lot of confidence in FIFA. Do you? I doubt it. Um, so you know, we'll see. Those are those are some of the stories that uh, you know broke over the the weekend. Um, Friday was a was a big success. We uh, we did a live Q and A, and we had Chris Kessel on for the entire two hours plus of the show. Uh, and, uh, and, and so we, we want to make sure that this is available to you again today. Um, you can text your questions to one 844 789 You can email your questions to team at wrk.mn. Or you could send your Twitter DM questions to at Daniel Workman. As always, you can find the different channels to watch at danielworkman.com forward slash watch. Uh, so uh, that is uh, the way that you can send in some of your questions, maybe some of your thoughts uh, or any topics that you uh, you want me to cover today um, and us to cover today. It is it is definitely, um, definitely great to finally get to watch uh Michael Jordan and the Jordan Doc the the last dance with the Bulls um I have been looking forward to this for a very very long time I had been trying to explain to my my kids who who had no idea who Jordan was except through you know my words and 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 never really, you know they never saw him play they were they weren't even thought about uh by the time he was done playing and And so uh, we get the first two episodes last night. The entire family sat in the living room and watched I I don't know what the ratings are, and I'm sure they'll come out or or, or are already out. Um, But I'm sure the ratings were like smashing bananas massive. I mean, it was incredible. Two hours of television, um, you know, to, to see uh, the behind the scenes, you know, this isn't like a documentary when you go and you go back and you just talk to, like, the people that were involved for the last, you know, um, you know, 20 years ago and what was it like back then and show some game clips. And it's not to say that those aren't, like, um, you know, really good thoughts uh, or good ideas, but... You know, the idea of having this footage, real footage, um, is incredible. And to be able to watch, you know, Jordan and Pippen and uh, the, the, the others, uh, you know, in, in context um, of, of the way it was at that time, in that moment. Uh, is incredible to go back and see it's, it's it's insight into you know the greatest basketball player of all time and you know Muhammad Ali is is probably the only other other icon um other than like a you know a Pele um you know a Messi type that's global you know MJ is on that in that same level I mean and in some ways he's above them all and and the and the reason why uh, is is because of the brand that he created um, and that was created around him um, it, you know it, it's a legacy brand that's crossed over multiple sports um, and we see it in, in 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 soccer and you know in football we see it in obviously in basketball we see it in baseball um you know the the mj brand that logo is just um it, it's it's such a powerful um image and there's you know you you, you want to talk about a legacy and an impact and global reach uh that that endures to this day uh mj and you know going back to watch the that footage from the bulls in the 80s and going into the 90s and then and, and what they were in the 90s i mean it it's just incredible and and people forget like how you know they watch LeBron now, and they're you know these young guys. They watch LeBron now, and they're like, "Oh, LeBron's the goat. LeBron's the goat." I'm like, "Dude, LeBron can't hold MJ's jockstrap. Plain and simple." Is LeBron a great player? Yes. He he's not the goat. Nowhere close to being the goat. And I hope that all these young guys sit back and watch greatness. It's a different level um, it's just it's just a different level and it's not to to beat down um, you know LeBron or um, you know any other contemporary It's just they haven't they haven't knocked MJ off his perch they haven't they haven't outdone him and anyone who who's you know saying, some of those things about you know LeBron and 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 being a goat or being in that that conversation is you know missing it completely. Like it's it's just not to me. It's incomparable uh, the way that MJ conducted himself, the way that he um, played, the way that uh, he led. Um, and the things that he did and, and like I said, it goes beyond, uh it goes beyond just, just on the court. It's off the court. Uh, and LeBron's huge. I get it. He is, he's huge, but, um, but I don't think he's anywhere near that level. So, um, so that was great getting to watch that last night. Uh, those first two episodes now having to wait a week for the next two. I mean, it's torture ESPN. Why didn't you just release it? Netflix style and give us all 10. Cause I think the whole world would have been binge watching. It's not like we could go anywhere. Um, and, and that, you know, that would have been incredible, but, uh, th- they'll have our eyes again next Sunday and the Sunday after and the Sunday after, one of the things that I found fascinating that I didn't realize, I, I, I remembered, you know, Scotty Pippen and the talk, you know, of him, um, you know, not being appreciated, you know, for who he was at the time. Looking back, oh, my gosh, how, how bad he was treated uh, from a respect standpoint. I, I don't actually think that that could happen. These days, I mean, I think number one, I think the NBA has changed so much uh, since then um, that, that I just don't I don't I don't think that that scenario where you have a player like Scottie Pippen making the sixth most money on his team in, in a massive disparity uh, with the rest of the league. I, I just don't I don't think that would even happen these days. Uh, and it's unfortunate that it happened uh, to Scottie Pippen because uh, he, he's an all-time great um, player. I mean, Scottie Pippen uh, was... I don't think you could have created a better, you know, teammate to MJ. Um, just everything that he needed to be and was uh, to fit with MJ that was Scotty it was MJ and Scotty i mean you there was no doubt who the goat was there was no doubt who the greatest player was it was mj everybody knew it scotty knew it everybody knew it but that that should not diminish what scotty Pippen brought to the game and what scotty Pippen meant to those bulls and uh and for him to, to to be paid like that what what to me is and i get the business side of things i'm a business owner but If I'm Jerry Reinsdorf, how do I get on that Jordan dock with any uh, measure of, you know, not just being completely embarrassed for having uh, that situation play out with with that contract and to go back and talk about, yeah, well, we tried to tell him not to sign it. Then why did you offer it? (laughs) What? I mean, like, show some respect. I mean, geez, I just... Wow. So um, yeah, that was that was another that was an, that was another moment in the Jordan doc to me that was eye opening. And there's a lot of stuff, and I and I think there's a lot more we can get into um, throughout these shows because uh, the one thing I think that every American soccer player can learn from this is 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 some lessons from from Jordan. There were some lessons I think from Scotty last night and from others. Uh, but, uh, when you look at the greatness aspect, excellence, one of the things that MJ, uh, spoke about, uh, in terms of excellence and, and, and why he became the player he became, um, he, you know, he talked about the, this, you know, ultimate reason why we're here uh, what to do, what, what am I here to do, and, and, and what is this all about? And we're going to get into that after the break. Again, just want to remind you that uh, if you would like to text your questions, you can to one 789 You can also email your questions to team at wrk.mn, and you can send your Twitter DM questions to at Daniel Workman. Um, Our sponsor this half hour is Ductic Brand, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And uh, they're the makers of very, very cool uh, notebooks, uh, journals, and other products. You can use promo code DWSHOW and you'll get 10% off of your order at ducticbrand.com. We'll be right back after this. show. Thanks for tuning in on this Monday, another live Q and a, you can text your questions into one eight, four, four, seven, eight, nine, eight, eight, four, four, email your questions to the team at wrk.mn or send your Twitter DM questions to at Daniel Workman. As always, you can watch the show on multiple platforms and you can find out that information at Daniel forward slash watch. So uh, that Jordan documentary, one of the things that Jordan talked about uh, before I move on to uh, to some of your questions uh, is is he he said something in the course of these first two episodes that I, I feel like is so important to um, the conversation surrounding American soccer. And one of the things that he said is um, – I'm here to win. Every game. Every, you know, every time I'm here, every time I'm on the court, we're here to win. What are we doing if we're not here to win? And it, it there was a there was a a scene this is back before they started winning titles. Second season in the league. And uh and Jerry Krause was wanting the Bulls not to make the playoffs to get a higher uh draft pick. And you have these drafts in the NBA, in the NFL, and in major league baseball and any closed league, they use this draft system to try to find a way to to reward mediocrity. They actually incentivize you. To be bad. To get better draft picks. And MJ was like, sorry. You're going to have to figure something else out. Because I'm not here to lose games. I'm here to win. I play to win the game. What are we doing if we're not here to win? To compete. They were in the final game of that season. Whether they can make the playoffs or not. they They were not a good team. MJ had missed a lot of time. With a broken foot, there was a chance he could re-injure it. The team didn't even want him to play. And really, what it was is the general manager at the time, Jerry Krause. He didn't. He did. He didn't want MJ on the court as much about the health issue as it was about him wanting the opportunity to get some higher draft pick. They get into this last game, and the coach was warned: if you play MJ over the the time allotment you're fired and they come down to the very end of the game and we're talking about seconds left and MJ was out of time and uh, and the coach made him sit on the bench wouldn't let him back in and uh, fortunately for the Bulls and for MJ John Paxson uh, sunk a game-winning shot and they made the playoffs and I'm sure Jerry Krause was ticked because he was hoping that uh, they wouldn't make the playoffs, but that spirit, that attitude, what are we here to do if we're not here to win this this c- competitive fire This has been stamped out of American soccer. The development academy which is which has recently been terminated by the U.S. Soccer Federation was was known for being a place that was not competitive. And I'm not talking about quality on the field. I'm not talking about talent. I'm not talking about that, that one team just was loaded and the other teams weren't. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that competitive internal fire that MJ had. The, the, the matches were sterile. There was no... There was no competitive edge in these matches. It was almost like you were going through, uh, you know, walkthroughs or scrimmages the day before a big match. It was, it was like, it was as if the match didn't matter. There was no fire. There was no rivalry. There was no passion. There was no emotion. And we see that replicated at Major League Soccer. We see that replicated throughout our system. Why? We, we saw Wayne Rooney come out over the weekend talking about how uh, MLS doesn't treat its players well enough. You had DeAndre Yedlin who came out and said, look, MLS needs promotion and relegation. More people are starting to speak up about the topic. They all know. And that includes MLS, that includes Don Garber. They know, but they're trying to do everything they can to avoid it. They know the answer, but they're trying to avoid it. They're trying to come up with, uh, this is why they've been going to, to Mexico with the allure of, look, we can get you more money. Do it with us. We'll get you more money. They know the answer. And look, Mexico in this announcement, in this excuse about COVID-19, which is a—it's just a lie. It's all it is. It's a lie. No, See it for what it is. <laughs> Mexico's not been run well in regards to promotion relegation for quite a while. So it's not a surprise. This didn't come out of the blue. This is this has been rumored for a while. Now it's important that the, the fans in Mexico, the the players and coaches in Mexico stand up and do something about it. To say enough is enough. It's also important that FIFA Pro and, and FIFA step in and say, hey, look, this, this is not happening. We don't need a North American Super League. We don't. The United States is a massive country. We have markets that have no access to the top of the game with populations larger than tons of first division clubs around the world. We don't lack for ambition. We don't lack for size. What we lack for is a system that allows clubs To win, to be rewarded for doing things well. That is what we lack. That's what Garber doesn't want you to have. He wants to keep control in a few markets. Why? That's the business plan, artificial scarcity. Lock everyone else out and extort you for money. It's very simple. So seeing MJ last night and, and just like, what are we here for if we're not going to try to win? I think it's just so important uh, to, to keep in mind as we're looking at everything going on right now at the moment. Because uh, it is. It is so critical to what we're doing. If we're not here to win, if we're not here to compete, and we're not here to unleash that, um, then what are we doing? And, and Chris had a, a thread six months ago or so where he was talking about this attitude within American soccer and, and some of these derogatory labels, um, uh, that, that have been used surrounding, um, you know, that idea that, you know, you see, uh, you, you see words thrown around and do you really understand what what's what's going on what's really taking place in those moments and um the thread basically where Chris was talking about in terms of the competition I think is so important as it relates to This this uh, this idea and what he was laying out is that the term recreational soccer was created by people who did not want the sport to be as competitive as a traditional American sports. It was intentional. Travel soccer was created by those who wanted to take it serious. It was co-opted by those who saw they could make money off of it. So basically what we had in the very beginning was we had the juice box crowd who said, hey, it's just, we're just here for the kids to have fun. This is just a opportunity for them to get out and play and just enjoy the sport. And that was recreational soccer. And then there were others who said, look, we, we want to, we want to try to compete. So they, they formed this thing where it was like, look, it, An in house league, recreational soccer, an in house league is just, it's not, that's not competitive enough. You know, juice boxes and orange slices after the game and just rah rah and everything's great and lovely and nice and it's all pretty. All that stuff was like not something they wanted to do, right? And so they started the travel initiative. We're going to start traveling around and finding other teams that are like us. And then people started to realize, well, look, I could kind of start to professionalize what we do. I could charge to to give you better coaching and better experiences. And we were off. We were off to this rat race of elitism, financial elitism, not sporting elitism. Every level of soccer governance has failed when it comes to the children who play the game in this nation. Rec soccer is used as a pejorative nationally. Basically, every single player starts in some sort of rec program. If you take rec too serious, you are ostracized. Why don't you go play club? This isn't what rec is for. Why are you so serious? Well, the kids deserve the best that we can offer them, no matter who they play for, first and foremost. That is a fact. We have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of players in the U.S. playing in underdeveloped rec programs within clubs and leagues, and the kids are being screwed over by it. By not taking the majority of the sport serious, we are setting the tone for what the game is. Now, what does taking it serious mean? Chris spells that out. Coaching education, amount of practice time, opportunity for growth, competitions, etc. This hyper localized community based soccer is the part of youth soccer that needs fixed. This is where every player starts. This is the entry point for every single family that isn't a soccer family, soccer first family already. This is where things are most broken. This is where a national soccer culture change can and will happen. This is where investment needs to be made, needs to happen. This is where the keep them playing as long as possible, as a high level as possible, will happen. This is where we are going to be able to find thousands and thousands of coaches who really care about kids. These are the ones who need to be trained how to develop players. These kids care, and this is an important point here. It's the it's the adults messing this stuff up, it's not the kids. You're not you don't have to force kids to to compete. Most kids want to win. They want to do well. And when you find a kid that just doesn't care about doing well, that doesn't mean you water down the program for them. It just may mean that look, they're just not that into sports and as they get older they're probably going to find something else that they're into it's okay these kids care they care just as much as your child that you pay big money to play club soccer for they don't want to lose they want to get better they want to win they want to have fun they want to play with their friends with other good players they're kids just like your kid that plays club or travel or whatever you call it where you are they all deserve the best environment that we can give them, not to be forgotten about, used as a bank account for the club or business, or relegate it to crap programs. We need change when it comes to soccer in this country for all the players, not just the ones at the top. In, in light of the news about the DA, and everyone's gone crazy like, what's going to happen and now we got all of this going on the bottom line is until there is a a nationally organized system by US soccer we're going to have alphabet soup everyone masking a raid masquerading around with labels and marketing slogans as to what's the best I said it last week. You you can make the argument that the DA didn't go far enough. The biggest problem with the DA is they tried to adopt Major League Soccer strategy. If you want to know who has the most influence over the Federation, look at how the Federation conducts its business. What does it model itself after? Exclusionary. Limited access. Who does that sound like? MLS. We create the DA, but not everybody can get in. Well, that's fine. How do you get in? Arbitrary access. Who does that sound like? Major League Soccer. The problem with the DA was that you couldn't take your youth club, compete on the field, and win your way into the DA. Therefore, what happened? Clubs started combining to try to create super clubs to get more money, to limit access locally, to charge families more money, to try to position themselves as a big mega club to get access into the development academy. And if you got picked, it meant that you were given an asset value above your neighbors because you knew they could not earn their way in. It was destructive. In places where there might have been five, six, eight, ten clubs, there were remnants of those clubs left. And two or three, sometimes one of those clubs got a DA. And all of the best players went there. Why? Exclusionary access. It does not take a lot of money to develop great players. Let me say that again. It does not take... A lot of money to develop great players. The first element of creating a great player, developing a great player is the player themselves. And it's the most important part. Are they on the ball all the time? Do they love the game? Do they watch matches? Do they play all the time? Are they training themselves all the time? Are they self-motivated? If you don't have that, you can't bake the cake. If you don't have that, you'll, you're will you never going to develop a great player. Secondly, in terms of environment, you don't have to, it does not take tons of money to create a great environment. That's where a coach really has as much importance as the the field space the visuals etc how does the coach set up and create and monitor and and maintain a quality environment so the ability of the coach plays a role a big role That's not super expensive. I've seen great coaches who were paid zero. There are great coaches in Europe that make a fraction of the money that American youth soccer coaches make. And they're developing and producing better players in Europe than we are here. And it's not close and we know it. So what are we paying for? When you pay these coaches, what are you paying for? Are they delivering the results warranted for the amount of money they charge you? In most cases, the answer is no. So you got to have a player that wants it, that puts the time in, that has the skill, that has the desire, the passion, the emotion, the commitment. You have to have a coach that that is going to help create an environment that inspires you, develops you, teaches you, shapes you. None of this costs tons of money and it doesn't cost a ton of money around the world. So what is it about? What is the, What was the DA system really about? It was about exclusionary access that propped up a system. It made it worse. It's kind of like one of those government programs that you hear about where they say, hey, look, this is going to make things more fair. This is going to make things better. And then you actually read the details of the program and you find out that it's just making the, you know, the fat and happy bankers uh, at the very top of the food chain a lot of money. That's what happened here. There was a program, and it didn't go far enough. It didn't give access to everyone. Therefore, you had entire chunks of the country with no access. And if you were a good player, you were told to move because we're not coming to you. We're not going to give you and your club any opportunity. So you got to go. Get out of here. And, and when, you, when you play that out and you walk it through, you realize this system was never set up to benefit youth development. Not in its purest form. If they were, they would have made it accessible to everyone. It should have been, it should have gone further. Everyone. Everyone. That should have been what the DA was. And until we have a system that does that, we're going to have an alphabet soup and we're just going to have to deal with it. Plain and simple. Question, why... Uh, what will it take to have a system of academies that are built around states as the solution. Um, so basically the question is, how do you, how do you kind of like create a, a, a more regional or local academy system? Well, number one, um, and you can continue to send your text questions into one eight four four seven eight nine eight eight four four. email those questions to team at wrk.mn or send your Twitter DM questions to at Daniel Workman. Um, first and foremost, the idea that a 14-year-old needs to get on an airplane and fly across the country to play a match is, is absurd. So you don't see this in 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 other developed countries. You're not if you're FC Barcelona, you're in the country of Spain. It's not a big country. You still don't have youth players going all over Spain to play matches. So why are we doing it here? Because the parents think that's elite. This is what I'm saying. So um, there's been some some conversations about like creating state associations, um, you know, basically academy leagues. Well, m- most state associations have what they call a state league. And. You know, I'm sure some are run OK and some aren't run OK. My issue with state boundary leagues is that doesn't necessarily take into account geography and population density and reducing financial burdens on families. So state boundaries are not to me the best way to go about this. So I do think the Federation does need state offices uh, because you, you need local points of touch and contact, but in terms of, of using those same boundaries for the purposes of programming, isn't necessarily a good idea. And I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Um, you know, if you are in the, the Washington DC area, um, you know, this Northern Virginia, um, DC Maryland playing in a in a league that's in that Metro DC area makes sense. Now, that's that's not within your state boundaries, but the population density and the way that that's set up that makes more sense. If you're in if you're in northern New Jersey, it might make more sense for you to play with a New York City system. It, it might make more sense to play in some kind of New York-based setup. If you're in southern Jersey, close to to Philadelphia, it might make more sense to play in the eastern Pennsylvania setup. Here along the Gulf Coast, it makes much more sense to travel back and forth across I-10 from New Orleans to Destin than it does to drive from here to Huntsville, Alabama, which shouldn't be driving here either. They should be playing with Nashville, which is an hour away. But that's in Tennessee. And you can do this across the country. So state boundaries are not necessarily the way we should be looking at this to reduce travel and financial burden on families. We should be getting out of this stay-to-play type of scenario um, in the country as well. You should be able to drive to your game and drive home in a day without like killing yourself or or killing your bank account. So I I think this idea of state run you know academies, development academies, or what have you, I I'm I'm not necessarily like religiously committed to it being state boundaried leagues. I think the states can administer the registration of those players. You know, so like if you live in the state of Oklahoma, but your league is, you know, maybe based in Texas, you register in Oklahoma because that's where you live. But your league, you play cross-border. Same thing in in West Texas, you might play in New Mexico with some some of your 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 league set up, but you register in Texas because that's where you live. So divorcing the idea that your registration locks you into programming within those same state boundaries I think is one important key to getting this, this set up better. So if my residence is in Tennessee, I register in Tennessee, but my league that I play in may include Tennessee, it may include Northern Mississippi, it might include Kentucky, I don't know. I'm just saying that when you look at at all of this, there there are going to be places in the country where a state league just doesn't make sense. If you're in the panhandle of Florida, it makes much more sense for you to be going to through Alabama, Mississippi to New Orleans than it is to be driving all the way down to the southern tip of Florida. So a state league in that regard just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, if you're in southern Florida and and your league is all Florida, but it doesn't include the whole state of Florida, that might make more sense for you. So I think the player registration should just be based on where you live. And then the leagues should be built around the idea of reducing travel and costs and expenses for families. We should not be having hotel stays to play regular setups. Now, you want to set up windows throughout the the calendar for clubs to play and you know, a travel tournament or something like that and give them a, a a fun experience. Okay. That's up to you, but your regular, like competition, the, the organization from the federation in a, in a national league system like this, I think should be built around the idea of, of keep it as local as possible and I get it to play you know good competition at the highest level in your age groups you're probably gonna have to you know drive an hour or two at times to to play matches, but that's okay it's the it's the it's the u s we we just have to deal with that. We shouldn't have to be driving five hours six hours for most people now I can't help it if you if you're out in you know Wyoming in Montana. And some places like that, where the population density is just not large enough, and you have to travel, I can't. I mean, there's just nothing you can do about that. You're, you that's where states would probably need to get creative, you know. And I, I actually talked to some individuals uh, a couple of years ago from the Wyoming State Association about the idea that that they should go all in on futsal, small-sided games. Keep the competition as local as possible. Play occasional matches where you do have to travel. But, you know, if you've got enough for two 11v11 teams, why don't you build like, you know, four 7v7 teams and play seven aside? Or play futsal and have five or six futsal teams play five aside? Like, you know, some of that's where you need to use these states as labs of innovation based on your population and population density, etc. I don't think there's there's got to be a, one, you know, element that, you know, Southern California is not going to work in a lot of places in this country. But there are other places in this country that wouldn't work in Southern California either by and large most of the country if it if done and administered properly can facilitate 11v11 soccer at that you know U14 15 16 18 19 whatever age groups and and do it competitively have it connected into a system and go from there but we don't ha- we don't need a system that is religiously committed to state boundaries, because I don't think that's a great solution. It's a solution. Is it better than nothing? Yes, but I don't think it's the best solution either. So register the players through your states and then set up leagues based on population densities and reducing travel. If you can do it on those two principles, you can create some some really competitive leagues in this country, reduces travel, allows clubs and teams to participate on sporting merit at the highest levels. So you you set it up, and, and, and if you play and you win on the field, then you move up, you play at the higher level, and you find your level, you find your balance. You know, it's it's not rocket science here. What, what, what we've lacked is, is the leadership. There's a giant leadership deficit at the U, at U.S. soccer, even now. There's a giant leadership deficit. They just abandoned the youth space and just said, look, we're, we're, we just don't want to deal with it anymore. You guys deal with it. So now MLS and others are coming out going, well, we're going to start a league, and we're going to start a league, and we're going to start a league. What makes it better than the other? Unless it's open, And fully connected and based on sporting merit, first and foremost, but then, as I said, also not putting up extra hurdles for families to overcome in in terms of that side of the ledger, then it doesn't matter. It's just somebody with an arbitrary marketing slogan and, and nothing else matters from there. So, um, you know, right now, instead, what we've been left with is that uh, our federation runs a system that just arbitrarily dismisses most as a country. And when I say most, I mean like 99% of the youth players in this country are on the outside looking in. And the only way, only way that you can improve Um, that statistic and, and, and improve the ability to get more players recognized. I mean, I want you to think about this. Going back to the Jordan doc from last night, the last dance. MJ did not make his varsity high school basketball team his sophomore year. He was still growing. Scottie Pippen Went to college, he was the manager at an NAIA school, Central Arkansas at six one and grew like six seven inches in college. Something crazy. And then during his college years, over the next, you know, sophomore, junior, senior year, he 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 was obviously playing and had grown and grew into himself and we're running around the country dismissing entire states at 13 14 15 years old like we have a clue if any if any coach or scout any any member of the federation could get up and tell you that they know for certain that there's there's not talented players in this part of the country or that we can tell you who the best player is at 15 who number one, or who that best player at 15 is going to be when they become 18, 19, 20. Get out of here. Go look at Christian Pulisic. Nobody, nobody thought that guy was going anywhere. Why? He was like a shrimp. He was a little guy. Everyone undervalued him. Go watch little films of him, man. He was like a little guy. He was getting no recognition. No one was going, oh my gosh, this guy's a phenom. Give me a break. When is U.S. soccer or anyone within U.S. soccer shown the ability to accurately predict with near certainty who our best players are or are going to be at 18, 19, 20, 22, 25 years old. They don't know. And if they tell you they know, they're lying and they're charlatans. They're phonies and fakes. And they're probably coming for your bank account. They don't know. It's it's absurd. The fact that we even uh, entertain this stuff is ridiculous at the federation level. So instead of trying to arbitrarily lock people out, Instead of sanctioning Major League Soccer to be exclusive and exclusionary, we should be saying, you know what? We need to get more opportunities to more places, to, to more people. The only way to get more people having more opportunities is to have more openings for them to get into. It's simple mathematics here. If you've got 20 locations... In each location can accept 20, you got 400 opportunities. But if I've got 200 locations, or 300 locations, or 400 locations, or 500 locations, that can each offer 20 opportunities, when you multiply that out, 500 at 20... That's a very different number than 400. When you're talking about 500 clubs with 20 spots available, those are real opportunities here 10,000 opportunities compared to 400. I like those odds a lot better of finding, producing, developing better players than arbitrarily picking, either through financial uh, ability or geographic location or personal connections, who the best players are. If you're paying because you, you think you're getting into some exclusive access, you your mindset's wrong in the first place. And it's wrong of the Federation to allow that to have gone on for this long. It's terrible. All of that needs to change. Register the players through the state, the Federation administer some type of local slash regional leagues that reduces the impact of travel, base it around population densities, make the access based around on-field performance, and you'll start watching these labs of innovation spring up all over the country. There are some great people who volunteer their time and do incredible work, and they never get recognized or noticed, and their players never get a chance to be seen. And I guarantee you, that story is not isolated. It's all over the country. There are players that you could find that are in these so-called recreational programs and programs that are outside of the federation sanctioning or are at the very least outside of the exclusive rich club soccer environment who are producing and developing better players. And if they were to play your players and your teams would smoke you. So if we know that to be true, we know that that's happening. And just based on pure statistics and mathematics, knowing that the country is not being well covered in terms of access and opportunity, then you know what we, we know the answer that it's real and we're missing it. And we're missing it big time. That is our show for today. Thanks for watching. As always, we appreciate it. Um, as always, you can watch the show at danielwertman.com forward slash watch. You can also catch it on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc. cetera. Uh, appreciate uh, you tuning in to the show today. As always, every weekday at 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll see you again tomorrow.